When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Beth Peterson, and I'm so excited to be with you today. This episode is chock full of tips. First up, our staff members are each sharing their own game-changing sewing tip. These are those aha moments where you realize something that will make your quilting faster, easier, or more enjoyable. Some of these may be new to you, or maybe you've been using one of these for years, but it's always fun to hear what techniques or tricks quilters have learned over their time quilting. I'll start with mine. I've always hated drawing lines on the back of squares to make triangle squares, stitch and flip blocks, or flying geese units, especially when I have to make hundreds and hundreds of units for a quilt. It's just one more step getting in the way of me actually sewing. So I've found a couple different ways to avoid drawing lines. First, you can use a diagonal seam tape. I like the one from Cluck Cluck Sew. So this is kind of like a washi tape and it has three lines printed on it. So it's a red line marked in the center and then black lines on either side that are a quarter inch away from the red line. So this tape sticks right to the bed of your sewing machine and you align the red line up with your needle. For triangle squares where you would draw a diagonal line and then sew a quarter inch away from the line, then you would line up your corner points with the right-hand black line and then sew. Then you do the same thing on the other side of the square using the left side. Then you just cut on the diagonal line and you're done. Easy peasy with no drawing lines. You can do this with flying geese as well. And for this technique, you'd line up the diagonal across the square with the red line since you want the stitching to be corner to corner on that square. So eventually you'll have to replace the tape, but luckily it comes off easily and you can just stick on a new piece. It comes on a roll, so you'll be able to use one roll for a long time. If you have a laser light on your sewing machine, you can also use that for this trick. So the laser shows where you're stitching, so you can start at the corner and keep a perfect diagonal as you sew. This works great for snowball or stitch and flip blocks as well. This has saved me so much time and I just wish I had discovered it sooner. And I do have a video showing how this works, so I will link that in the show notes so that you can see it in action. Next, let's hear from the rest of the staff. Hi, this is Elizabeth. I have a couple of ironing tips to share with you today that are pretty basic, but they have really improved my quilting life. When I first started quilting, I didn't realize how important of a step pressing is to successful quilts. It was just one more tedious task that I would rush through before I could get to the fun part of actually assembling my blocks. I now know that pressing bookends my quilting. And by that, I mean that I start by ironing my fabrics before I do any cutting and I also end with ironing my quilt really well before basting and quilting it my, myself or sending it off to my long arm quilter. So really, I start and finish my quilts at the ironing board. 
The first thing I do after selecting my fabrics for a new project is to give all of the fabrics a good press just to smooth out any wrinkles or fold lines. Pressing before cutting your block pieces can make a big difference in your cutting and piecing accuracy. After piecing, I've also started finger pressing my seams before going to the ironing board and applying any heat. Now, this might seem like an unnecessary and duplicated step, but I've discovered a couple of benefits to this method. First, it reduces the amount of time I'm standing at the iron because I already have the seams prepped and loosely pressed in the direction I want them to lay flat. This is especially helpful if you are sharing an ironing station with multiple people like at a quilt retreat. Second, it keeps your fingers safe and away from the heat and steam of the iron because you've already trained the fabric where to go by pressing with your fingers ahead of time. This comes in handy when you're trying to press open tiny seams on really small pieces. And lastly, finger pressing allows me an opportunity to examine my pieces for accuracy by allowing me to slow down and look at each piece closely before ironing them in big batches. And if I'm not happy with my piecing, I can just get out my trusty seam ripper and it is so much easier to re-sew the pieces together before I've ironed the seams either open or to one side, depending on the pattern. Now, there are a couple of tools that I find make my pressing more effective and enjoyable. A wool pressing mat can be a big game changer. And if you've never used one before, I highly recommend trying one sometime to see if you also like the results. Wool pressing mats absorb the heat from the iron, so you are basically applying heat to the fabric from both sides, which can reduce your pressing time and can create a really smooth result. I also like to pair my iron with a continuous spray bottle filled with either water or fabric starch, and it just releases a very fine mist to help steam out any stubborn wrinkles. These spray bottles are affordable, and I find that they are so much nicer to use than the spray function that comes on my iron. I found that my iron was always spitting out big drops of water on my fabric, and I also found that it had a really small water chamber, so I was constantly having to refill my iron. The last tool I would recommend if you really want to up your pressing game is a tailor's clapper. If you're not familiar, a clapper is basically a piece of wood usually two to three inches in width that you lay on top of your block after pressing and let it cool. The weight of the wood helps create crisp, flat seams as the fabric cools. Now, I know this is kind of a strange comparison, but it reminds me of how hot rollers um, can work for hairstyling. I found that curls always last longer when you let them cool first before removing rollers. And that's kind of the same theory as these tailor's clappers with your quilt blocks. You let them cool and then the seams stay nice and flat. Anyway, those are just a few of the ways I have improved my quilting through better pressing. I hope you have found some of these suggestions helpful. Hi, this is Doris, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. I've been sewing since I was about 10 years old and quilting almost 25 years now. So I can think of several game-changing tips I've picked up along the way but one I feel like every quilter should know is how to chain piece. Chain piecing saves time, thread, and prevents threadness while sewing. 
It is especially useful when you're piecing multiples of the same block or unit. To chain piece, start sewing two pieces together. When you get close to the edge of that first pair, get the next two pieces ready. Sew off the end of your first unit and feed the next pair through without breaking the thread. No stopping is necessary, but you may want to slow down. If you do need to stop, be sure to stop with your needle in the down position. I suggest using a quarter inch seam foot so you get nice accurate seam allowances. And if you're sewing units that already have seams, like when you're joining two pairs to make a four patch, it's easier to position the seam allowance on the bottom unit pressed toward you and away from the machine. To cut your pieces apart, you can use a small snips or one of the commercial chain piecing cutters on the market. I use the original thread cutter by Sunflower Quilts. When you're working with pieces with points such as triangle squares, it's helpful to chain piece those as it prevents thread nests from forming and the points from getting pulled into your machine. That's one of the things I find the most frustrating is when your edge of your fabric gets pulled down into the machine. A trick for chain piecing triangle squares is to stitch a quarter inch away from the marked line on one side of the triangle square, then offset the next triangle square and sew a quarter inch on the opposite side. It nests the pieces so you're wasting less thread and can keep your pieces from bunching together. I use chain piecing when sewing blocks into rows to complete the quilt top as well. Once I have them where I want on my design wall, I take them down in pairs, one row at a time, lining them up in the order they were on the wall. I chain piece them together, then clip the pairs apart, keeping them in order, and join the pairs to complete a row. That row goes back up on my design wall, and I repeat with the next row and so on. If you don't trust yourself to keep them in the right order, use pins with numbered heads or small note scraps pinned to the blocks. This method has saved me so much time over the years, and time saved means time for more projects. Hi, I'm Allison. My tips are all about keeping quilts square. It can be incredibly frustrating to put lots of time and effort into a project only to have things not line up and look crooked. I've been sewing for years and still have blocks that turn out lopsided. The thing I've learned through making crooked blocks is that you can correct a lot through sashing, borders, and careful pinning. I'm currently working on mini bear paw blocks that finish at three and a half inches square. Those individual blocks then get sewn together in groups of four to create a unit. Since the pieces that make up the blocks are tiny and include bias edges, the units are not coming out perfectly square. As I've been sewing the units together, I've been lining up all of the seams to ensure that my points match up. That element is more important to me than making sure all of the units end up perfectly square. The reason being, I can make the blocks appear more square when I add sashing. I locate which seams should align, both on the edge I'm sewing and the other sides to make sure I'm sewing the blocks together as straight as possible. Since the blocks I'm working with are small, I haven't needed to pin them, but if you're working with larger blocks, I highly recommend using pins to keep your seams aligned. After aligning each block to create a unit of four, I'm going to add sashing. Not only will the sashing add spacing between each unit for visual interest, it'll also help square the units up even more. 
I'm going to cut my sashing pieces the length the unit should mathematically end up because they're all roughly the same size, just a little bit uneven. When attaching sashing to the units, I'll fold them in half to mark the middle and I'll do the same to the unit I'm attaching it to. I'll then put a pin joining the two layers in the middle creases as well as on each end. By doing this with each sashing strip and the pieced unit, the rows should end up pretty straight. When it comes time to add longer sashing strips between each row, that'll help keep things aligned as well. Adding borders can also help square up a project. When adding borders, be sure to measure the middle and each end of your quilt to get a consistent length in which to cut your pieces. You can then treat your border pieces similar to the sashing. Fold each strip in half and align it to the middle of your quilt. Depending on the overall size of your project, you can add more creases to help align. So for example, you could fold your border strip and quilt into quarters so that you have more points of alignment rather than just the middle and ends. If you follow these tips, your crooked blocks should end up making a pretty square quilt. I can't tell you the number of quilts that I've made that have had crooked blocks, but you never know it when you look at them. That was so fun to hear. We're going to take a quick ad break and then we're back with some product picks. Welcome back. In the April issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, we shared 30 product picks from our archives in honor of our 30th anniversary. American Patchwork and Quilting magazine began showcasing products in its June 1994 issue in a department called Quilters Market. Over the years, we've featured new and trending products alongside tried and true favorites, all of which we've tested in our sewing studio. We asked designers featured in this issue for their product picks, and here's what they shared. Lisa Alexander is the designer of the April issue cover quilt Scrappy Celebration, which we are also doing a quilt along with, shared that her favorite product is Triangles on a Roll. This roll of foundation paper has printed sewing and cutting lines for making triangle squares, and they come in a variety of sizes. Lisa says, I love the accuracy I get with triangle paper. It's great for mindless sewing. I always have the two-inch size on hand. Next, the Itty Bitty Eights six-inch square ruler from Creative Grids was picked by Kim Deal. She says she'd be lost without the ruler because it makes trimming half-square triangle units and small-scale patchwork a snap. Joni Holton says she uses a crease marking tool, also known as a Hera marker, when she needs to mark instead of a pencil or water or air-soluble pen. She says she uses it for all her half-square triangles and flying geese because it's quick for her to run it across squares and keep sewing. And it's also a great tool for marking a top for quilting so you don't have to worry about any traces of that marking not erasing fully. Sarah J. Maxwell picked software from the Electric Quilt Company. She's used it her entire quilting career from the first version of the software all the way up to the current version, which is EQ8. She says, being able to see on the computer screen how fabrics interact lets me audition so many ideas and often leads to unexpected new quilt patterns. Binding needles from Primitive Gathering is a net plogs pick. 
These needles are specifically designed for binding, so they have a large eye to accommodate thicker threads, but are long and thin to make binding a breeze. Thanks to our designers for those amazing product recommendations. We'll link those products in the show notes. And see the rest of our picks in the April issue of American Patchwork and Quilting on Newsstands Now. Now I'll hand it off to Doris, who is sharing a few storage tips from our readers. Hi, I'm Doris, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. I'm excited to share some great reader tips about storage today. This first tip comes from Laura Collenbach from Portage, Wisconsin. She says, I have a large zippered pouch I call my finishing bag. It's where I store the fabrics I need for backing, binding, and labeling my UFOs. I attach a note to the individual fabric pieces to remind me which project each one is for. That way, I don't accidentally cut into yardage I was saving for a particular quilt. I think this is a great idea and somewhat similar to my own method. The plastic zippered pouches are easy to come by. You can repurpose those used for packaging sheets, uh, comforter sets, and other home textiles. I have accidentally cut into a piece of fabric I had set aside for backing and forgotten why I had set it aside in the first place. So adding notes to each fabric is a great idea. Carol Metz of Grass Lake, Michigan writes, because I was tired of forgetting what my specialty rulers were meant to do, I sewed a block of every design that each ruler could make. I then named file folders after the rulers and put my finished blocks inside the labeled folders. I no longer have to guess what the rulers do or what the blocks will look like when they're finished. Carol, we love this idea. We did the same thing with the specialty rulers we store in our sewing studio here in the office. Having them organized in hanging file folders with instructions from the packaging saves a lot of time searching for or Googling the instructions when you're ready to use them. Nancy Kovacs of Curtis, Ohio says, I love fabric panels, but they often get lost in my stash. After trying several storage methods, I finally hit on something that works for me. I fold each panel into a page protector and store the page protectors and binders. This cuts down on duplicate panels, makes the panels easy to view, and keeps the panels accessible. Nancy, I loved your idea so much, I went home and implemented it with my own collection of fabric panels. I don't use a lot of them, but every once in a while I come across a great panel that I have to have, usually Halloween or Christmas designs, or my favorites, those with the fun pre-printed quilt labels. I've misplaced them amidst my stash of yardage and fat quarters so many times, Putting them into page protectors, I can flip through the binder and find exactly what I'm looking for in so much less time. This next tip is from Beth Christopher from Bramwell, West Virginia. Beth writes, I use a pedicure toe separator to store my bobbins. The bobbins stay wound and I can easily see the color of the thread. This is a great economical tip. There are, of course, commercial bobbin holders and clips available, but for anyone on a budget, this is a good solution using something that can be easily acquired at your local dollar store. And our last tip is from Norma Curtis of Kleinberg, Ontario. Norma says, because my sewing room is also our guest room, I sometimes need to put my sewing supplies away. To store my cutting mats where they won't get bent, I clip them to pants hangers and stash them in the closet. The hanger clips are strong enough to hold two mats each. This is such a good idea for anyone who sews in a space that does double duty. Cutting mats can easily warp, 
So hanging them is a great idea. Just make sure the pants hanger you use grips nice and tight so your mats won't drop to the floor. Thanks for those fun tips, Doris. We're going to take another quick ad break and are back with a Quilting Changes Everything story. Welcome back. Allison is sharing a story of how quilts brought hope to an area hit by devastating floods. Last summer, eastern Kentucky was hit with devastating floods, resulting in the loss of many personal items. When Evelyn Morgan, owner of Quilt Haven Quilt Shop in Grayson, Kentucky, heard personal stories of people who endured the floods, she knew she wanted to do something to help those who had lost so much. Evelyn knows how powerful a homemade gift can be in times of tragedy and distress, so she put out a call for people to donate to flood survivors. Making a quilt takes many hours of work and a significant monetary expense, said Evelyn. Each tiny piece is sewn in. The love and stories sewn into them make homemade quilts very special. Evelyn shared her idea of collecting quilt donations with fellow quilters and shops in the area. Some shops were able to donate sample quilts they had laying around that they were no longer using. One shop owner brought in 90 quilts that were made during the pandemic. They were made with charity in mind, but needed the right project to give them to, and this one felt like the one. Another quilt shop offered a fun challenge to see which shop could gather the most quilts, which added to the amount of quilts contributed. When a bus trip traveled to Quilt Haven from New York, Evelyn was speechless when the group gifted 32 quilts to the collection. One quilter even offered the first quilt she ever made. They had so much love in their hearts for people they didn't know, said Evelyn. Donations have ranged in size from baby to king size and have been made in a variety of styles and complexities. Over 1,000 quilts have been donated so far, and Evelyn expects there to be around 1,500 when it's all said and done. Before the first batch of quilts were given away, they were stacked in Quilter's Haven and blessed by Stark Church. People prayed over the quilts in hopes that they would bring people comfort and support during their time of healing. Evelyn's friend and lifetime Kentucky resident, Paula Hensley, handled the distribution of the quilts. Paula's family home was flooded for the first time, which left her parents devastated. Her direct connection to the floods is what made her want to contribute. She gave out quilts through community centers, homeless organizations, a history museum, and personal door-to-door delivery. Evelyn even handed a quilt to an older gentleman who she encountered on a back road, and he began to cry at the generosity. Recipients showed their gratitude by writing letters and thank you notes to Evelyn and the quilt shop. I just feel led to do this, said Evelyn. The floods brought so much misery, the least we could do is donate quilts. Such a heartwarming story, Allison. Quilters are such generous people, and I love hearing how quilting brings people together in times of need. Before we go, I wanted to remind everyone that the Scrappy Celebration Quilt Along just kicked off today. I hope you'll join us to make the quilt, which is on the cover of the April issue of American Patchwork and Quilting. It's made of 13 different blocks and is a great stash-busting project. The Scrappy Celebration Quilt Along is sponsored by the Electric Quilt Company 
and they have a fun bonus for you. If you already have EQ8 software, you can download this quilt to plug your own fabric choices into the layout. It's a great way to audition fabrics before starting your quilt. If you don't have the software, they're offering a 25% discount to purchase it. Go to allpeoplequilt.com and search Scrappy Celebration to find the page with all the details or check the show notes for that link. There you'll find the materials list, the schedule, and how to purchase the pattern. We also have the link to the Electric Quilt website so you can get that download or the discount. And don't forget to share your progress with us by joining our private Facebook group or using our hashtag APQQuiltAlong on Instagram. Until next time, I hope you have a fantastically quilty week.